Ready to record? Are we ready to do it? Let's go. Elsie, get pumped. Let's do this. Yes, oh right. There we go. Okay. All right. Hi, welcome to the Kingdom of Thirst podcast. My name is Abigail Kelly. Today I'm with. I just realized it's AJ. Yes. I should I is should I go? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go yeah, with AJ, AJ for the purposes of this podcast. Yeah, for the, for the purposes of the podcast. Okay, so AJ Lancaster and Elsie Winters. Um, we are, we are, we are here in this, in this space, in this cathedral of, of romance right now, um, but, which is to say not at all together, even a little bit, virtually speaking, we're here. Anyway, listen, this is part two. <laughs> this is part two of the, uh, how is it that I get the title wrong every time i've done i've i practiced for once upon a forbidden desire thank you thank you aj uh it's better than last time which by the way so we had three lovely authors on um and it was great we talked for about an hour and it was fabulous and then we didn't realize until literally i was closing out the podcast that we had not once set the full title of the anthology that we were discussing so you know, we're already ahead of the game, y'all. Once Upon a Forbidden Desire. Once Upon a Forbidden Desire. Yeah, subtitle, wow. Fairy Tales and Other Stories. Fairy Tales and Other Stories. And I, Steph told me that, like, the reason that it was, or was it Steph? No, it was, um, it was Maria who was like, uh, the reason it's the fairy tales and other stories is because hers is the only one that's not a fairy tale. <laughs> Uh, I I thought that was I thought that was very funny, but then we we argued the point. We we got down to the marrow of that, I think. Um, so basically, how this kind of came about was um, that when Vel and I were talking about doing kind of a collaboration between the podcast and the anthology, and you know, you guys, it was like, wow, there's a lot of writers here. Uh, how do we decide like who's going to you know? be on the pod like I, I can't do everybody can't certainly can't do every single author individually like and then how do we pair them up when we do that um and so she had you guys put all of your stuff on the spreadsheet and then put like you know what your story was about and um you know the different themes trying to just figure out some way to kind of parse how we could possibly you know break it up um, and the reason I decided to do you two on, on um, the same podcast was because you two chose two of the most like famous and like widely known, widely adapted fairy tales to to make your subjects of the anthology. Um, and I thought that that was very interesting. How we could discuss that because the other ones um, weren't quite so standard right like Vela did 12 dancing princesses and there was Baba Yaga and there's like the Serenos and stuff and those are not like super mm. you know middle of the road fairy tales but uh but you guys chose Cinderella and uh and and Little Mermaid the little um, spermaid <laughs> Elsie we got we didn't even make it five minutes five minutes Elsie <laughs> I so, feel like if you didn't know what you were getting when you asked me on here, it's not my fault. That's true. I knew I knew exactly what I was getting into, and that's and that's okay. I you know I've had like I said when I was doing the briefing beforehand, I've said worse, um, and I'm glad that I didn't say that one because then no one can get mad at me about it. It's me. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So before we we get into all this, though, I do want to, like, do y'all want to introduce yourselves? Talk about what you write? Why you decided to to, to do this thing? Or, like, any sort of breakdown? AJ goes first. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not in. yeah, both of us have discussed how we're... we're uh, not much of the like think on the spot types so there may be some awkward pauses Bless. we're not um, into talking we're so, both much better typing uh so i <sighs> obviously I write romantic fantasy uh and i like fairy tales um and i joined a, a discord server that a whole bunch of romantic fantasy authors were on and we were sort of talking about how cool it would be if we did something together um and fairy tales seemed like a, a a really good sort of unifying thing because we all do quite different little subgenres. So my subgenre is kind of gas lamp. Uh, I call it like Downton Abbey, but with fairies. Uh, yeah. Um, and shall I talk about why I decided to do Cinderella, or shall I let Elsie? I will. We'll get into that. First? I think let's okay. let's do go Elsie. Elsie, you go next. Your turn. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I just remember we were all having a discussion on the the Ferrofab server. So there's you know, we, we get together a bunch of fantasy romance authors. Um, we all write, it's a very wide variety. Um, there's everything from PNR to Gaslamp to monster romance to sword and sorcery. And, um, you know, so fairy tales seem to be, it, it's kind of a very middle of the road. You can take those any direction you want as a retelling. Um, so yeah, so it seemed like a good option for an anthology and something that we could all be excited about and get behind. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're all very niche and we're all very like hardcore about our niche. So, yeah. you know, like the people who are very into like sword and sorcery, like are very, they're not going to, be excited about writing a PNR story um, or paranormal romance. And so yeah. it's something that can be adapted into many different types of storytelling. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. And you also, what we discussed in episode one was how the the real unifying theme of the book is um, the heroines had to be bold, right? Like there was a, there was discussion you guys had about, um, you know the sort of like reclamation of the heroine's power in in each story is that is that right yeah i would say like the unifying themes were like bold heroines but also the desire for something forbidden i think that there's Mm -hmm. always something that's kind of tantalizing about being forbidden to do something or having something that's kind of out of reach for you and Mm -hmm knowing that that is attainable at the end of the story because of the promise that we make with romance that they're always going to get a happily ever after like it kind of comes down to this like how can we deliver this forbidden element and mm-hmm. you know how does that work so yeah mm-hmm. I, I think those things go hand in hand right i think you have to be bold to reach for something that's unattainable or you're told not to right like right um we we discussed a lot in episode one about um how the same fairy tale can be interpreted to totally different ways um particularly by like the female gaze and the male gaze where like men 
have often interpreted a lot of fairy tales that focus on young women as being like, here's what you don't do, bad daughter. Like you don't you don't go out after after midnight and you you don't party with random princes via magical lake. Um, and I'm gonna send a soldier to to catch you in the act, and then you're gonna have to marry him, and you're gonna have to be happy about that. And there's very morally strange. Um, and then you know from the female perspective, that same story can be about you know women just trying to live and like what what those lessons are that are passed from woman to woman um when these stories are are told um and I, so i think i when i so i i was doing some research into the myths you guys chose or i keep saying myths the fairy tales you guys chose um which are little mermaid and cinderella which are little mermaid is ostensibly not very old at all but the actual myths behind little mermaid is is pretty old um mm-hmm. whereas cinderella is like Ancient. one of the oldest fairy tales. So actually, I had a, I had a trivia fun fact. Um, between you two, who do you think has the 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 myth that is the older one? I would say I Cinderella mean, for sure. I think you just told us. <laughs> well, well, okay, maybe, maybe, but also not because there are mermaids that are featured in mythology like as deep as you can go they're they're also like they're in Assyrian mythology um but uh there's I think the oldest one is um a cameo of, of a young goddess who jumps into the sea in Assyria and she uh wants to become a fish but the gods of the sea are like you're too beautiful to become completely fish so we're gonna turn only half of you fish um which, Seems like a standard god move. <laughs> I do wonder about the conversation that was like, okay, um, which bottom half? or top? <laughs> yeah, bottom or top? <laughs> like, which? How? How good to ask though? Because like, if it's really, really good, we have to have a hard conversation. Um, <laughs> that I horrifying, absolutely horrifying to imagine. Um, and then of course the the alternative there being that um, the the oldest official Cinderella myth though that I could find is actually only dated to about. Um, Egypt, it's like 63 BCE or something like that, whereas mermaids first appear around 1000 BCE. So there's no, like, little mermaid tale, actually, yeah. that is that is really before then that I could find. I'm sure there's, like, some slightly romantic, you know, mermaids you can find in, in prehistory, but... Um, the first official Cinderella tale was, was Egypt. It was about a slave girl who married a pharaoh, um, which is, you know... Interesting. Uh, a lot to unpack there, I think. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I do, I do think like if you look at the ancient roots of this, I think the idea of reclaiming these stories to make them about these bold heroines who are reaching for the forbidden is like so to the core of where these stories probably started. Right? It's just about women trying to do what they want, and usually it's about some dude who comes in and is like, "Nah, you're gonna marry somebody." <laughs> Or are you going to marry somebody you want? I think within these two stories, my favorite aspect of them are they are about rebellious women and Mm -hmm. rebellious women making a choice for themselves and going against what they've been told to do. Um, Yeah. Um, I I just find that really intriguing. My my favorite aspect in, uh, in, in, wait, nope. Carry on. <laughs> Were you going to say your favorite aspect was the winged prince? <laughs> yes. No, no I was going to say, like, I really liked, but then I was like, wait, are we talking about the fairy tales in the anthology? Or are we talking about, like, the, like, 
bigger history of these stories because I was like, so there's no wing princes in like original Cinderella. <laughs> so then I, like, I mean, no wing princes. I mean, but I was like, I was we like, don't know. Like, I was like, but A Day Brain went straight to the winged prince. Yeah, well, my favorite thing in, in both my story and, and Elsie's story, actually, uh, this is a thing they have in common, is there's like, the hero's not quite human and there's like weird cultural aspects around that. So like the, the hero in mine is a winged king. Um, and mm-hmm. the hero in Elsie's is a merman. And so there's like culture clash that comes with that, that I just, and I, and kind of world building around that. So the, the kind of fantasy that in me um, likes that. And yes. <laughs> I No, I love that. I think that's yeah. like such a, but it's not really thematic. Layer. I'm sorry. I yeah. did not do my homework on, on culture the Culture clash is one of my favorite aspects to read about really and cool. to write about. So um, I love it. Yeah. I think, no, I, I, and I think that that's like, I don't know, it, it would be really weird, actually, if you were like, hey, one of the main characters in this, you know, romance um, is half fish, but they have an identical culture and there's no sort of weirdness or like, there's no hurdles here. It's just that she doesn't want to live in the sea or something, right? Like, that would be mm. absolutely bizarre unless that was like part of the thing where it's like, hey... You know, I know exactly, like, it, it, you would have to actually integrate think, it to run it to be real. I think that's actually something that I really like about fairy tales in general, is that a lot of the kind of old fairy tales, there's, like, some weird aspect to them where, like, often the fae come in or, like, mm-hmm. you know, like a character like the fairy godmother in, in Cinderella or, like, the, the mermaids in Little Mermaid or you've got, like, Rumpelstiltskin or da da Um who doesn't quite abide by like normal human sort of social things so they're kind of like we we don't always categorize fairy tales as fantasy but they they are and i think they fit yeah fit very nicely into that um well i think like uh, in the first episode i ended up talking a lot about gilgamesh the epic of gilgamesh which i have a have a like galaxy brain you know thought process or how Gilgamesh has a direct line to romance novels today um and I I do think that that we our oldest storytelling was inherently fairy tales right like we didn't understand how the world works so we were just like hey there's probably fairies who put that berry on that bush I don't know (laughs) I don't know how they get there I I come back you know a couple of days after I pick them and there's more it's fairies I don't know uh and that totally made sense so I think it's it is it harkens back to the oldest storytelling tradition to be like and then she walked into the water and there was a hot merman there and then then they did it i don't know like (laughs) there's nothing more human than wanting to fuck a merman um (laughs) you could use that in your advertising copy elsie (laughs) come on elsie right next to my title the little spermaid yeah yeah that's how little is it though that's the question (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Can't, you can't see Elsie's expression but yeah she's making a <laughs> misleading I don't, I don't think it's little at all uh also i don't like the idea of sperm made i imagine a sort of it's awful <laughs> i not like it's a it's 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 like a hot gatorade hot milky gatorade oh. yeah that's right up there with you know how many ounces yeah. is it in cm nicosta's Morning Glory Milking Farm. I I made some cursed merch recently, guys. Um, there you go. 
Yeah, and it's uh, I because I made a joke about werewolf jizz um being my favorite drink on on the podcast. Yeah, I I've said things. Okay, yeah, I've said things, and then I've made merch about them because I want to double down on being gross. Um, and so it's just like a it's just like a cola can. Um, it's it's it says it's number one choice for mates, and then it's splashies. I think it's great. I think it's I think it's a beautiful design. <laughs> I don't think I don't think anyone's bought it yet except for me. <laughs> Next up on Elsie's Etsy store, instead yes. of Gatorade, Spermade. Yeah, I mean it's got the electrolytes. It's got it's got. <laughs> I'm dying over here. Shout out to Susan Rucker who came up with my spermate tagline, by the way. That's well, shout out's really an interesting can we can is can we subpoena? Is that a like what's a what's a better <laughs> can we sue? Cursed taglines. Cursed yes, merch. Very cursed, very cursed. But it can always be more cursed. That's my goal, is whenever I make a joke to make it worse. Um yeah. <laughs> Yeah. AJ, your face, you've got like a thousand yard stare. <laughs> AJ has disassociated completely from the conversation. <laughs> Once we got to the Just second like section of Spermade, no, I'm out. Bye. Yeah. Right, I mean, theoretically, it wouldn't be in a Gatorade bottle because you'd want it to stay at least body temperature. So it'd have to be in some sort of thermal insulated bottle. No. Oh God. Well, so you know, um, fairy fairy tales is deep, and also epic of Gilgamesh, and also Spermaid. I don't know. Like I don't know. Um, it, it was funny though. So I was um, I was reading up on the history of Cinderella today, and of course, like most things, Wikipedia was like it was French first, and then I was like, that's not correct. Um, and so I went down a deep rabbit hole of all these different Cinderella adaptations from all over the world. And it brought back a memory. I went to a very small elementary school in um, the doesn't matter Bay Area, small town um, in the in this little mountain town. I feel like mountain people, no matter where you are in the world, mountain people are all kind of the same. You know, um, AJ, you're in some far-flung distant land. I assume you have mountains. Yeah, you have mountains. Yes, the whole country is is mountains. Yeah, it's mountains, right? (laughs) Mountains and sheep, right? Um, So I I assume you have mountain mountain folk. Uh, And uh, so I went to this tiny town, and it was this tiny school. It's like 350 kids. It was very small. And we put on a play every year. But it was always like a really ramshackle thing written by one of the parents. Um, And I was reminded of the fact that one year I played Cinderella. Um, But it wasn't like Cinderella. Cinderella, it was called the like the dueling fairy godmothers and it was about all of the different versions of Cinderella from all over the world competing against each other and I don't for the life of me recall what for but I do remember like a sort of fist fight between tiny children dressed as old ladies and I like I wish I wish I had that play to give to you so I could read you lines from it I do but I don't and unfortunately um you know unfortunately that's that's where we're at but I did I did spend a long time thinking about that today um and um 
also going down a deep rabbit hole of trying to find an obscure Cinderella retelling that I read when I was like 10. Um, that yeah, I don't let me know if it rings any bells for you, but it was about this like Cinderella ish girl who like has a blacksmith make her the glass slippers and then she wears them to the ball and she realizes that they are like terrible footwear because they are and then they tear up her feet so bad that by the time she gets home after midnight her glass slippers are full of blood uh so doesn't ring any bells for y'all no i have heard the the blacksmith um take on it yeah and the cutting up her feet which is actually quite similar to little mermaid feet like walking on knives yeah Yeah. original the original Um, yeah it's got very very dark guys (laughs) well i mean i did any wait no one did the the one the um what was the fairy tale where the like woman is being chased by the devil who wants to bone her or whatever so she cuts off her own hands y'all read that one uh not off the top of my head can't remember can't say i have Yeah, it's not real messed up. Um, it's all women, too. Like, it's all women getting just absolutely wrecked because they decided to, like, live their lives. And There's it. also, in some Cinderella versions, like, the step sisters, like, mm-hmm. cuts her toes off or cuts her foot to mm-hmm. try and fit in the show. Like, yeah. Yeah. Which is, Why was that is, necessary? This does not happen in my version. I would just like to... Yes, thank you. I'd be like, that's, a, that's a valid take, but it's also, like, vibe wise quite a different take yeah to, hard to, um, I, to the one yeah. I agree with that's a that'd be a tough sell because because I mean it's I mean because at what point do you have to be like how complicit is Cinderella in the torture of like because she's you know like if she's oh, happy I mean, if she just like walks away afterwards and it's like sucks for you that you got you cut off like three of your toes but I'm gonna go be with my prince bye oh I mean I think even in that version it's it's not Cinderella driving this at all because she doesn't want her stepsister to pretend no. to be her. It's the, the stepmother. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, like evil evil stepmothers appear a lot in fairy tales. Uh, I, I always try and make the stepmother in my stories like not evil as a, as a little bit of subversiveness. Uh, or not like, yeah, to have a little bit more more depth. Um, doesn't have a cat named Lucifer? No. Alas. No? A Damn. missed opportunity, perhaps. <laughs> I didn't realize that her cat was named Lucifer, and that was, like, the Lucifer until I was, like, in my 20s. And I was like, Damn, they really named her cat after the devil? Huh. It's actually quite a cute-sounding okay. name. Like, it's and very also cute. also appropriate for a cat. Like, yeah. I have no. two cats. All cats so, are the devil. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Spoken as a true cat lover, though. Yes. No, they're so evil. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> they're great. I love when they claw at me. I can't say anything. My dog today, I took her for a little walk before we sat down to record today, and um she um she she did stick her whole head in an old man's pants today, so um you know. He feeds her treats, but now she is so feral that whenever she sees him, she accosts him and she knows what pockets he keeps his treats in, so she will stick her whole head in his pocket um and it's um deeply embarrassing for me i look like a bad parent um but pet parent do? yeah bad pet parent uh nothing nothing i can do she doesn't speak english so i can't tell her stop so let's talk a little bit more about little mermaid because i there is with it being i think the most um recent like codified 
uh, like there's there's not as many versions of this story, right? They're kind of they all follow the same like Hans Christian Andersen like script for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like there's a lot less um, diversity in the tellings. Um, it's usually like people kind of pretty strongly stick to the canon of what happens, you know. Um, although they tend to kind of scrub the darker bits. So I, Elsie, I want to know like what you decided you were going to keep and what you decided you were going to change or what you're going to decide to get rid of completely um and and why you decided to do that um i would say the things i wanted to keep were that um i wanted them to meet a little more organic well okay so the things i wanted to keep Mm -hmm. were that i wanted him to be mute um, at least when he first meets her. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that aspect of it where they they have to kind of get to know each other in that alienness of not being able to converse and not understanding necessarily like who each other is exactly. Um, I don't know. I'm all about the like can't communicate trope. That's just total catnip for shit. me. That's, that's a good shit. Um, other than find fantasy. other ways to, and also, to be intimate and to learn about each other, and also yeah. the gifts, weird yeah. gifts, yes. weird cultural and the, gifts. <laughs> the yeah, like they learn uh, like his love language is trinkets, you know, yeah. and like mm-hmm. kind of in the way that the Little Mermaid, she at least in the Disney version, you know, she yeah. collects all these human objects and she's fascinated with the human world, but she doesn't really know anything about it, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an aspect that I kept a little bit of where he is kind of obsessed with trinkets that he finds. And so she brings him more trinkets that she finds and knows are just kind of like useless junk, but she knows that he'll just be enamored with them. And so um, that was something I wanted to keep. I kept a little bit of Ursula, like the witch, the sea witch um, mm-hmm. in that it's someone that he goes to for advice or to talk to. Um, I didn't really like the villainization of Ursula, like in the movie. Um, So I just kind of did away with that. Like one of the fun things about writing is that like, you can just do whatever the hell you want. It's your story. You get to tell it how you want to. And so, um, yeah. So I kind of did away with, the whole like villain aspect of it. I guess you would say that in my story, the villains are her parents um, mm-hmm. because they are users and they they don't really care about her or about her desires. And so like she's rebelling against them kind of as the, the rebellious aspect of the story. Um, and he's somewhat rebelling against his own culture. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think that's, that's really great when they're, when you're not afraid to make something else out of what you've been given, right? Like, I think that no one's going to miss that this is a retelling Little Mermaid, right? Like, listen, if one of them's got a tail, fish-wise, it's probably some sort of DNA from a Little Mermaid in there, right? Like, this looks like a little bit. Um, I think that I've, I've seen a lot of 
fairy tale retellings recently, and I, I talked about this in episode one, but not really in depth. But like, there's been this big resurgence of fairy tale retellings, specifically with people who are trying to jump on the monster romance trend, um, and who don't necessarily know how to write monsters or why people enjoy monsters, know, monsters, and and they no don't approach them really with the sensitivity that I think is required to do them well. Um, but the other layer on that is that they are a lot of times I've seen people are taking specifically the Disney movies and are just translating the Disney movies onto the page beat for beat, even like Easter egg wise. I read uh, a pretty <laughs> not my favorite uh, Beauty and the Beast retelling, which literally had like a Mrs. Potts who inexplicably it was in set in Chicago. She had a Cockney accent. Uh, and like there was a Lumiere and I was like you're doing a translation of a translation of a translation and it's it's so it tangled skirting up against like copyright infringement with Disney yeah <laughs> yeah and I was like you could there's so much you could do with Risky. this here there's so much raw material here that you could do whatever you want and you chose to just rewrite the animated film um like it just didn't make any sense to me um so i i do very much appreciate that y'all were like i'm gonna keep a little bit of this and then i'm gonna throw the rest in the trash yeah i think for me the most compelling aspect is of monster romance in general is the alienness of the mm -hmm. creatures and how you can take such an alien creature and make them a person and also sexy mm -hmm. and yeah also sexy. <laughs> make them a person to the, the point raw where sexuality of the other right make them a person to the point where they are attractive and sexy um because if you don't see someone as a person you can't really be attracted to them yeah. i mean hopefully um yeah yeah god i don't know i'm not judging anybody but um yeah, so to me, like that alienness and the differentness of a character is inherent in a monster romance, and it has to be there. Like, I don't, I mean, I, everybody has their tastes, and, yeah. and I'm not judging that. But for me, like, an alien who's exactly like a human, like, you know, Chad down the street, but he happens to have orange skin, like... Yeah. That's just not compelling to me. Like, I want somebody who is different and who is has cultural differences and anatomical differences and, you know, to the point of having a completely different way of looking at the world. Um, yeah. That's what's mm. the most interesting thing to me about character writing and, and reading. I mean, as a reader myself. So... I feel like if I wanted to read contemporary romance, I would, right? When there's, it often feels like the people who are kind of jumping on the trend don't themselves read a lot of, you know, monster romance or whatever it is, right? And the misstep there is they then just try to shoehorn what's happening in the genre into what they typically write and there there can be a there can be a big disconnect there between like an understanding of what makes these stories compelling it's not that he's got a weird dick it's that like i mean that's the army is a part of it but it's also like you know this idea of finding human connection with somebody who's not human surmounting these huge cultural obstacles you know the 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 rush of the taboo like there's all these layers to it that i think can get very easily missed um uh, these people are you know they do a good old college try no shame but like 
think there's some research that could be done. That's all. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, I've, I'm never quite sure whether they count as part of monster romance. I think sometimes they are honorary honorary monsters, but they're also kind of their own thing. Um, they can be morally pretty monstrous, for sure. There's oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and they quite often have, like, I guess, uh, you know, like, add-on appendages, like, and bits, like, wings Furry and legs horns and... Stuff. and tails and fairy legs and things um yeah yeah but i would say it probably depends on how they're written and what their personalities are like yeah yeah um i did a i did a two-parter a long time ago um god i don't even want want to try and guess how long ago that was but i i did a, a deep dive into fey romance um and came out of it basically in a deep dark spiral of depression after realizing that fey is a term that can mean literally anything and has meant literally everything um and so if you want fey to be monstrous i i'm willing to bet that almost all monsters written in fiction could be counted as fey mm. so you know it's fine <laughs> everything's fine uh but for for purposes of um you know ad- advertisement I guess it's not always as easy, but personally speaking, if they're supernatural, they can probably be counted as fae and therefore. Mm. No, I don't. I don't normally consider mine monster romance, but I have occasionally seen them. I saw them on a list of monster romances, and I was like, "Huh, you are valid, list maker." (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. As as long as you liked it, that's fine. (laughs) That's like when people call my stuff really cute, and I'm like, "Ah, okay." Yeah, like I'm glad you had a good time. I don't, you know, like I definitely have murdered many people in my books, but that's it's fine. That's fine, you know. It's very cute, murder. That's that's what they say. It's got cute vibes. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, I mean, as long as I, as long as you're happy with the book, I don't give a shit. Call it cute if you want. Call it a steaming pile of shit. As long as you read the next one, I don't care. Um, so y'all, what was your what do you think was your favorite part of writing, of, you know, rewriting these fairy tales? What would you think was like the worst part of this process? Um, like, did you like, was, was it weird? Like making them sexy or was that your favorite part? Like what, what, what was the process like? Um, well, I feel I should point out that they're not all sexy. No, they're <laughs> not. No. Um, they vary quite a bit in heat levels. Mine mm-hmm. is probably one of the lower heat ones, mostly because of the thing that I found hardest about this, which was the word count. Um, mm-hmm. So we had a word count of 10,000 words plus or minus 10%. So I was like, okay, so that's 11,000 words. Um, and I was getting down to like making my words into contractions, like taking out all the dialogue tags, like checking my word counter, like, yeah, uh, this is, this is the shortest thing I've ever written and it was really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Um, not to mention you had me banging down the door every day, demanding that you add a sex scene. I mean, I, which she didn't didn't do. I'll have you know. There was no words. Yelled strong. (laughs) Um, I tried, y'all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I literally, there was no words left over for anything else. I, I'm in awe of how others manage to fit fit more in. <laughs> um, but I, I am not a concise writer, is what I have learned from this. Um, it was a so, super cute story anyways. Um, so the, and that's the coming word. from somebody who doesn't like to read stories that are low-key, <laughs> personally. But I still love yours. 
Well, that's oh, one thing that I, I love about the anthology, actually, is that there is a wide variety of stories. Like, you guys weren't pushing each other to write stuff you weren't comfortable with or, you know, you, you think, well, except for Elsie. Elsie absolutely was, but Elsie <laughs> I, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I'm kind of a natural slow burn writer. So, like, yeah. if they were going to have sex, it would have, we would have needed to wait, like, at least 50,000 words and ideally several books. Um, <laughs> so it was just, I was just like, yeah. No, it, it, yeah, ten thousand I mean, words. It wasn't. It wasn't going to happen. Um, this, there's this also just, like just pining, you know. I think that's tension. really great, though. Like, because um, I have like I have friends who who don't enjoy sex scenes in books, and like I don't relate, but I also don't, you know. Oh, I'm I enjoy them. I just enjoy them best yeah. after like a hundred thousand words of build up. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah. It but I think it's good that there was stuff for everybody. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't that I I didn't. Yeah, it wasn't my opinion on sex scenes. It was just the word count constraint. Um, that was the hardest thing. And yeah. the best thing was actually probably this whole process of being in an anthology. It's the first time I've been in an anthology. Um, and the organizers were fantastic and kind of like just bouncing ideas off people and kind of having a shared project was really fun. Yeah. Um, getting to know people through through it. Um, I mean, writing is such a solitary thing. Too. Yeah, like, the Discord is is wonderful, right? Being able to connect with people. Although, like, I'm a lurker because I'm I'm constantly just like, there's so many people here. There's so many people in this room. I'm just gonna sit in the corner for a second, just kind of observe. Um, but and Christine then bullies me about that, but that's fine. She can continue to do so. Um, but I I do think like it is really refreshing sometimes to be able to be like, oh, actually like collaborative stuff when you are working with people you enjoy spending time with and who are on the same wavelength as you is actually like really freeing and uh, creatively very fulfilling and it's um, nice it to have, happen very often it's nice to have a launch where it's like not just you responsible mm-hmm. for the launch that, that was mm-hmm. that was yeah actually incredibly relaxing compared to a normal launch because it was like oh someone else has thought about what we should do and i just have to post at the right time and you know <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. someone else did all the graphics? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Oh, jeez. Elsie, um, yes, you ma'am. go next. Um, I would say for me, the hardest part, the hardest part for me is always getting started, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> figuring out what story I want to tell and how I'm going to tell it. Um, I tend to be, I'm, I'm a pantser, like 100%. I do not do well sticking to plots or even coming up with outlines. Um, I tend to not really know what my characters are going to say or do until it's actually coming out of my fingers into the keyboard. Um, and so having the constraint of like a 10,000 word limit is daunting to me. Mm-hmm. Um but I had a lot of fun with it. And I would say that, it, I mean, in the end, it's one of my favorite stories that I've written so far. Um, I really enjoyed it. I loved the characters. Um, and I think, I don't know. I mean, for me, like, I just had to make sure I budgeted enough for a good sex scene because <laughs> I will not write even a 10 story, <laughs> a 10,000 word story without a sex scene in it. I mean, so, I would have um, had to give it's up just gotta be there. So, you know. Yeah. We all have our thing that has to be included. AJ, descriptions of wings. Elsie, yeah. um, cock pocket, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but 
anyway, yeah, like I had a really good time. I'd never done an anthology before either. And so um, being able to do that with a group of people that I barely knew um, at the start of the project and now I know them all much better. I mean, you know, you don't necessarily know all 20 authors in your anthology like super well, but um, I'd say at least half of them, like I'm, I feel like I'm a lot closer to and we talk regularly and, you know, I've just really enjoyed the process of a group project that I had my own piece of, like, mm. kind of alone together kind of thing where yeah. I don't necessarily like working on stories where it's like we're all building the story together. Like, I'm, I'm too selfish for that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just too, like, I can't give up that much control of a story. Um, and so being able to create my own story alongside my friends was incredibly fun and gratifying. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm the same way. Like there's a part of me that's like, Oh yeah, that'd be like super, super fun. And then there's another part of me that's like, wait, someone's going to tell me what I got, what I get, what I got to write. What? I don't know what I'm going to write. And I, 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 how do I know that they're going to tell me that, that I can't, that I can't do things that I want to do? What if I want to go off on a 10,000 page screed about uh, this weird mine that my family used to work in up in Sacramento, which is more or less what I'm doing right now with my vampire novella. And no one can stop me because I'm not in an, an anthology. Um, but, you know, that's, I, I do think the, um, Constraints can be actually very freeing when you then get to be like, oh, okay, so here's my, here are my ingredients. Here's what I get to work with. We're all going to make something different. We're all in the same kitchen cooking together. Like, let me look over and see what you're doing. Oh, that's really cool. Look at what I'm doing and get, get inspiration from each other. And I do think that is very cool. Um, but yeah, I do. There's always that kind of knee-jerk creative reaction to be like, well, no, you don't get to tell me what to do. I mean, I I wasn't sure I could do it. So I didn't sign up until I knew that I had the idea and the outline of it that I could do in, in 10,000 words. And then I was like, okay, I'll sign up now. Because, yeah. yeah. I mean, I yeah, I can't imagine being like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to do this thing. I don't even, like, I don't even know. I don't even know what I would do. Like, I, I think I would panic panic there was a lot of panicking yeah yeah but you all like panic together so like pantser where i like have i start out with like a weird idea or something really silly and then i'm like okay this is i'm gonna i'm gonna make an entire novel around this but i have no idea what else is gonna be in it so um yeah i mean that's how i tend to write my novels like i just start and i you know like when i was writing leviathan song i Mm -hmm didn't know what the ending was going to be until at least around the 70% mark. Yeah. Um, and that's just how I've always written. Like, I don't know what's going to happen until I get there. And if I have to go back and change things or backfill, like I can do that. But honestly, like I don't even tend to do very much of that. So. Yeah. Just Seems still. to be working going by the amount of people who are, who are obsessed with your books now. Um, I'd say <laughs> that I think it's, I think it's fine. You can keep going the way you're going, Elsie. <laughs> It's kind of a terrifying way to do things because I, you know, yeah. I always say like, I feel like I'm doing a hat trick or like yeah. a magic trick that I don't actually know how it works. And then it's like, I work, it works out one time and then it's like, okay, I've got to do that again for my next book. And I don't know how I did it the first time. So, yeah. Well, I, I, I've been experiencing that 
because I I'm writing like a series where it's a lot of stuff that's very interconnected it's a very big world but like they're standalone books but like there needs to be some level of like overarching series plot and like I'm like I said I'm not really a plotter so I'm like over here like how are authors like Nalini Singh for instance doing this like super elaborate thing over the course of like 17 books we're like how do you are you planning that far like I assumed you were but now now that I'm here and I don't think I can plan that far like I I'm panicking because does everybody else know a secret I don't about how to do this speaking of which Amber I gotta know sorry AJ I knew that was messed up. <laughs> it's okay. It's not a secret. You can it's cut just, that if just, you need to. No, no, it's not a secret. It's just um. I'll, should I should I bleep it like really loud with like a clown sound? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I like that. Um, AJ, did you know the end of your fourth book when you were writing early on? I know you like, didn't know it during book one of Stariel. Well, I thought book one was a standalone. So right. So I'm saying so I know you didn't know it know. during book one because you thought you were going to write a standalone. Yeah, but at least early on, did you know? Which book? Did you know at least earlier on in the series? Somewhere like before in before you three, got to the end of book yeah. four, did you know what was going to oh, happen? Oh, um, so... I thought book one Because that was standalone. such a twist to me that I was just shocked. I was like, no, how did she pull this off? Um, I need to know. This is the power of editing, is you can make it look like you knew the whole time. <laughs> um, it's kind of an idea I had. I think I probably had it in book two, but back in book two, I also thought it was just a duology. Um, and then, and then huh. I thought and then it was, was it a, just a trilogy? And then I thought yeah, it was a trilogy, yeah. and then I yeah. was like, and then I, I'd written it as a trilogy, and then I was like, there's kind of this one side quest that I kind of want to do. And I was like, but it's probably quite short. Maybe it's like going to be a novella. I was like, is that going to be weird if there's like a trilogy and like a novella? And then like, obviously book four turned out to be like the longest book. Um, Massive. um, So I kind of had it in the back of my mind. And then, yeah, when I was obviously editing book three, I kind of, once I knew there was going to be a book four before I put book three out, I went back and kind of made it. I don't know I feel like I don't know these things but something in my subconscious like leaves these breadcrumbs and I don't know what they're for until later and then I'm like that's what the breadcrumb was for that we put there (laughs) we didn't know what it was for at the time but now we've got like past me my breadcrumbs well like hot people um, where I'm just like, I'm just going to throw in as many hot side characters as possible yeah. and give them like, this guy's covered in tattoos or this person is like, I don't know, really, really good with magic or whatever. And then hope that later I'll find a, a reason for them being in the narrative. Yeah. So the answer is both yes, I kind of had an inkling earlier on and no, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> both of those things. I knew I knew by the time I was writing book four what the story was, um, largely. So good. Sorry, I got a sidetracked, but we came up. Yeah, it came up in my brain, and I was like, I gotta know. Yeah, that's definitely relevant. I, you know, see why uh, AJ suffered under the ten thousand word uh, limit. If uh, if if you kept going like, well, maybe if I just write another one, like that's that's not the Here, the mark oh of God. someone who, uh, yeah, the the ten thousand word thing would be like, oh yeah, it's not a problem. I'll just I'll just do it. Did you keep thinking like, well, if I only added another ten thousand words? Uh, <laughs> and that's why I only signed up once. I was like, I knew I knew what the story was, and it has lots of like little 
it was still quite hard to keep it under. I had to do lots of like scene jumps, you know, like where you yeah. kind of time skip. Like, and then, yeah, 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 that's the word. Yeah, it's like, and now some stuff happened in between that we couldn't fit on page, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we're here now. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, um, emotional development connection uh, yeah, stuff happens. Um, and now they're, now, now everything's fine. Yeah. Um, so. But yeah, it was. It was. I'm very proud of of having written short form. Uh, yeah, and it was great. But yes, it was hard. <laughs> well, I mean, I think like every every new challenge makes us a better writer, mm. right? Right. Hopefully. Once and the really other the other thing that surprised me about it is so my story is in first person and mm. I haven't written in first person before, but it was also the only way I could make it work. I was like, it's it's so little a word count i need the kind of immediacy of we're in her head so we can kind of shortcut she can kind of explain things about the world quite easily i don't know it it, it started in third person i was like no it immediately has to be first person it's the only way i can make this work so that was, oh, so that was a new adventure as well, yeah. as well yeah you upped the level of difficulty for sure but it was fun um all right. Well, uh, y'all, we're in the plug zone, uh, which is as exciting as it sounds. Uh, so now here, you get to tell us what you're working on, what you want people to look forward to, what you want, like them to go see, where to where to find you on the street and just in general. Uh, so you guys get to choose. Who I see a lot of pointing was happening here, so I don't know who's going to go, but uh, someone should. AJ's got more to plug, so she can plug first. Uh, um, okay. Uh, so I have my series that is out and technically completed, although there is a new book coming, but it's sort of a spin-off. So technically completed, Stariel Quartet, Downton Abbey with Faye, um, Fantasy of Manners, lots of like repressed feelings, unresolved sexual tension. The sexual tension is eventually resolved, but you will have to wait several books for it um yearning lots of yearning yearning, lots of family drama um you can read all four books now uh and that's a satisfying story that's complete uh there's a one book spin-off about a secondary major secondary character that is coming out next month uh that one is called a rake of his own um and it's mm and yes i think that's that's my spiel very exciting yeah and it's so good it's seriously one of my favorite series it's super good so you should so go where, read it if you have people where can people get it oh um on amazon is the main okay. place for that is that's where the ebook is it's also in kindle unlimited um and the paperback who knows many places but google is your friend <laughs> uh, um do you have any like social media stuff that you want people to follow a newsletter anything like that um i have i have a newsletter that if you sign up to soon you will get an exa- advanced exit of a rake of his own towards the end of this month um and i'm mainly on instagram um but you can find all my social media links on my website which is just ajlancaster.com all right all right elsie go um i currently have two books out uh leviathan song and magpies and mayhem um you can find them on amazon and they are in kindle unlimited paperbacks 
you can either get on Amazon or I have an Etsy store if you want signed copies. Um, the Merman's Kiss is part of Once Upon a Forbidden Desire. And thank you for getting the title in there one more time. Thank you very much. Got to get it in there one more time. And um, if people go to my website, which is lcwinters.com, you can sign up for my newsletter and get a free copy of Green Eyed Monster, which is another short story orc romance. So, a classic. That is me. Um, all right. All right, y'all. Uh, well, I also have pluggables. I forgot last time. So we're recording these well in advance of these coming out, um, which is fantastic, uh, for scheduling. But, uh, I, I forgot in the last one that I was like, oh, I have like a new serial starting and I fully like just, it will be like well on its way by the time this comes out and just didn't even at all think about it. I was like, I know I'm missing something, but I'm sure it's fine. Um, so I have that happening. I have a, uh, another, my serial for book two of the New Protectorate series starts in real time for us right now. It starts on Sunday and I'm having a freaking mo about it, y'all. It's going to be, I am nervous. I'm nervous. Uh, it's it's, it's nerve wracking writing a character who you're like, I, People aren't gentle with unlikable heroines. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, I really hope people don't hate her. She has very good reasons for the way she is. Uh, so by the t- hey, by the time this comes out, either I'll be feeling great and people will be liking it, or um, I'll be a puddle of goo on the floor. Um, and you shan't hear from me again. Uh, so... I had all those feelings before Magpies and Mayhem because... And then everybody loved it. So Her character is super prickly and she's childish. Like, that's just her character and who she is, mm-hmm. you know? And I was, like, just positive that everybody was going to hate her. And doesn't seem to be the case so far. So. I... Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. It's, There's it's hope. very... I've gone out of my way to make her sympathetic, so I'm hoping, and then I'm hoping, like, then, of course, the thought comes in, like, oh, God, did I overdo it? Are, there, are people going to think that, like, I was packing way too much in the first, shit, shit, everything's bad. Maybe I shouldn't publish this book. <laughs> um, but I think, I think it's okay. I think it'll be it's part of the it. process. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. There's, I don't know, there's sex in the first chapter. I don't know what you want from me. I've, like, I was, like, how do I, like... <laughs> How do I immediately get people invested in this without being put off by her just being extremely pissed all the time? I was like, we'll do it in the first chapter. Yeah, that'll, that'll do it for me. Um, it's it's bribery. Uh, so also social media, Kingdom Thirst everywhere. Um, you can find me, Works by Abigail on Instagram and also uh, Abigail K. Kelly on Twitter. All the usual places. We got a merch store. I talked about that good, good uh, werewolf jizz merch. So if you want that... You should get it because it's great. You can get it on a t-shirt. You can get it on a baseball tee. You can get it on a hoodie. You can get it. Listen, I'm pretty sure you can get it on a hat. Maybe not. Maybe not a hat. There's there's a lot of options for things you can put things on. I could have gotten it on a clock. Like, why? Why? But also, why not? Why wouldn't you want a werewolf jizz clock? I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure you can get it as a laptop case. So if you want to really make everyone in study hall uncomfortable, um, please do. It'll <laughs> make me laugh but you got to tell me um so that's a caveat when you when you purchase things from the merch store you have to tell me exactly how uncomfortable you made your family that's the rules um tag abigail on instagram with all your photos 
Please, please. My mom sent me a picture of my grandfather using um, um one of my uh, alien aliens, more like aliens mugs, and one of my nutrient slurry mugs. Which, if you don't know what nutrient slurry is, yes, you do. It's just spermate. Um, <laughs> pretty much. Well, no, it's not because it's it comes out of there, but it's not. It's not. Okay. So it's basically just if a, if a scorpion man boyfriend is trying to sustain his mate, sometimes he'll need to make a certain kind of slurry and he only has a couple of different holes it can come out of. And so that's I have, that. I have read that book. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> is that Susan Thank Trombley? You, so you know. You know that it all makes sense. <laughs> uh, I, I actually <laughs> said... Is it surprising that I've read that book, AJ? <laughs> Yeah. You know my taste. I'm not surprised at all. I'm like, of course Elsie has read this. Yeah. I mean, that has a cock pocket in it, right? Plus, he's got a little, like, shield in front of it, so he's extra protected. Um, yeah. There's a, there's been discourse about that book lately. But uh, I, I I do. I did send um, that mug to Susan Trombley um, after the episode recorded. She now has one, so that makes me happy. Um, so you, too, can own a nutrient slurry mug. It says, um, don't talk to me until I've had my nutrient slurry on it. It's, it's very funny. I think it's... Does your grandpa nice. actually know what it means? I don't think so. That's even um, better. I love it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he doesn't. Maybe he does know. Who's to say? I'm certainly not going to ask. Uh, but, you know, if you too want to to purchase one of the books or any of the books that have been mentioned, all of the links are in the description of this of the show, the show notes, whatever, whatever your podcatcher of choice displays them as. I don't know. I don't have control over that. But they're there. So all the links are there. So you can get Elsie's book. You can get AJ's books. Um, and you should hop on this train. So, um, y'all, thank you for being on. Thank you for writing uh, such wonderful stories and for being cool as usual thank you for having thank us thank you for having us yes it was my pleasure you can come back anytime um even though all the discussion of jizz maybe has stopped that train um but that's okay <laughs> abigail's follower count zero <laughs> yeah well you know that's okay what, what can i expect uh I, i'm that's for the best probably i don't i want to become too big of a famo um but that's it for today. I'll catch y'all next week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and that's it. Bye. Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts.